This is the business of sports. We're in a situation that we haven't dealt with in modern times. The pandemic here has really accelerated the investments that we've been advocating for for years. From a macro standpoint, I think our sport industry is really forced to look at the business a little bit differently. In-depth conversations with the leaders in the sports industry. Who wants to be the sacrificial lambs that shows up at the first big major sporting event? We're part of something much bigger than sport right now, and the health and safety of our stakeholders is what's most important. Every moment, I think we're all from a business perspective thinking about the impact that the virus is having across the country. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hi, everyone. I'm Jason Kelly. And I'm Mike Lynch. And I'm Michael Barr. Over the next hour, we will explore the big money issues in the world of sports and talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. That's right. Coming up on the show, we're going to catch up with Amy Privet-Perko. She's the CEO of the Knight Commission on Intercollegiate Athletics. It's a critical time for college sports, to be sure. They've got some major recommendations, and some of them have to do with big-time college football. And speaking of big-time college football, one of the greatest rivalries in college football, Michigan versus Ohio State. Take a listen to what this normally sounds like. Ohio State, Michigan, and we're underway from Ann Arbor. And they'll reverse it. Near side, Sammy still. Hits the corner, down the sideline. Dives! Touchdown, Wolverines! Just like that, Michigan takes their opening drive all the way down the field. And Ohio State running it. They'll get in. J.K. Dobbins, easy, does it? And the Buckeyes have a chance to take the lead. You know, if we are long on time, we can edit out the Ohio State touchdown. <laughs> <laughs> so, guys, that whole notion of crowd noise and yeah. somebody yeah. calling a game and touchdowns being scored, not going to happen uh, this year between the Wolverines and the Buckeyes. That game has been canceled the latest game that's not going to happen in this college football season a great rivalry lynchy but yep. COVID strikes again it does and i'm uh, i don't think many people would be singing hail to the victors even if they did play i think sure. ohio state would run all over them but it, it it's a shame and you know we saw this coming a week ago when michigan just uh, hit the pause button on everything but you know ohio state is still going to wiggle its way into the conference championship game because Last year, the Big Ten uh, received $6 million for having a Big Ten team in the college football playoff. So I think that the league, they bent their rules a little bit, and I think the ulterior motive was to get Ohio State into that national championship playoff so they could get some money back. Yeah, I mean, there's so much contortionism <laughs> that seems to be happening, <laughs> Michael Barr, when it comes to the college football season. We're going to talk about that with, with Amy Privet-Perko coming up in in a few minutes, but... This is, I know that you can make the argument that this is about the athletes, this is about the students. Let's be honest, this is about money. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. This is definitely about money. And it's, what's sad is, yes, this was the time that of I'm ready to watch Michigan and Ohio State, and I've got my beer, and I'm all set, and bloop. That's it. And well, but I mean, the problem is that, you know, the Michigan's uh, team, they you, they have the coronavirus outbreak and it's, you know, it's now what into a second week. And it, this is what it comes down to. And this is what we talked about earlier 
is that, it, yes, it's great to, to have the sports go out there and we enjoy it, but we're trying to play it in COVID, and it's all great and nice until Mama's son comes down with this virus. And yeah. and this is a problem. I don't know what to do about it outside of maybe you do just have to uh, shut it down a bit. Well, one of the leading voices in all of college sports, one of the most legendary coaches, he's got an idea about it. Take a listen. I would just like for just for the safety, the mental health and the physical health of our players and staff for their like to assess where we're at, you know, in our our country today, there's you have 2000 deaths a day, you know, you have 200,000 cases, a million and a half Last week, you have people saying that the next six weeks are going to be the worst. To me, it's already pretty bad. And that, of course, is Coach K, uh, Mike Krzyzewski, the longtime legendary coach of Duke, essentially saying, we need to think about this basketball season. Now, let's talk about the money. That is the single biggest contributor to the NCAA revenue-wise, March Madness. In order to have March Madness, you need to have a season. We didn't have a March Madness last year. We didn't have an NCAA tournament in men's Division One college basketball. Lynchy, what should we do? Well, March Madness generates $600 million for the 351 schools that participate in Division I basketball. Uh, the cynic in me, when I hear Mike Krzyzewski, says hmm, he doesn't think he has a chance to win it all this year, so he's going to call the season off. <laughs> he's lost to Michigan State and Illinois already with wins over Ballermine and Coppin State. Um, my recommendation would be hit the, if it, the next six weeks are going to be so bad, let's hit the pause button and let's come back and revisit it after six weeks. What do you think, Barr? What do you do? And we were talking about this uh, topic uh, here in the office. And, yeah, I, and, and Lynch, you got a point. Okay, hit the pause button, and then let's everybody, you know, get in position to, you know, to do what you have to do. If you have to, to bubble, go ahead and bubble to get ready to play the quote-unquote March Madness tournament uh, in Indianapolis. And you can do it, but – I hate to say it, sometimes, you know, college kids are going to be college kids. And it, so you, you have to follow the rules here if we're going to do that. And I agree, uh, Lynchy, maybe just hit the pause button for several weeks if we're going to have a tournament. Well, we're going to talk about this uh, coming up with Amy Privet-Perko, CEO of the Knight Commission on Intercollegiate Athletics. And just a little bit of a teaser, Bar, she, you know, might be of the opinion that just because it's called March Madness doesn't mean that the madness can't be transported. Our commission recognizes that far-reaching governance reform will not take place overnight. At the same time, it believes that discussions on a new governance structure for Division I can, should, and must begin immediately. Governance reform is urgent, not a wish list item to consider sometime down the road. And that is Arnie Duncan, former Secretary of Education and now the co-chair of the Knight Commission on Intercollegiate Athletics. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We're here each and every week for you at the same time talking to the biggest names in sports. I'm Jason Kelly alongside Mike Lynch and Michael Barr. Today, really excited to be speaking with Amy Privet-Perko. She is CEO of the Knight Commission on Intercollegiate Athletics. 
She's got a lot going on. Amy joins us from Fayetteville, North Carolina. Amy, really nice to have you on the show. Great to be here, Jason. Yeah, I'm really excited about this because it's a fascinating time for college sports, for sports overall. And, you know, I, and I think I speak for the team here, I'm fascinated by the work that you're doing because you came out with a pretty bold proposal about Division I athletics. It is the moneymaker in many ways, especially when we talk about college football. Tell us what you guys are recommending. Let's start there. Yeah, sure. And and before we start there with the recommendation, let me just emphasize that the Knight, Knight Commission, we're, you know, a thought leadership group of current and former presidents, um, athletic administrators, former college athletes, all who share the goal of and passion about college sports, you know, as as part of the university and developing young people. And so we don't have uh, any self-interest in terms of changing the system um, to, you know, to, to receive more money or to get more power in certain places. And it's all uh, the work that we do is, is for the purposes of improving college sports for the college athletes and for our universities. And we believe Division One is really in a fragile state right now. So these recommendations and all of the work we've done this past year is really to strengthen college sports for the future. And, you know, the, the recommendations <clears throat> boil down to really three major uh, changes. One is that we believe that there should be a separate entity created to govern uh, football at the at what is currently the FBS level. So the highest level of college football should have its own separate entity, and that entity should be uh, supported and funded by the college football playoff, which a lot of people don't realize is actually, you know, independent of the NCAA. It's managed by an independent LLC by the football conferences, and that uh, that playoff currently generates more than $460 million a year. So that's that's number one, that that would be created. And then secondly, the NCAA then would continue its role in governing um, all other college sports at the Division One level. And, you know, that includes uh, men's women's basketball and, of course, the March Madness tournament that, frankly, generates all of the revenues for the NCAA and they would continue to govern and manage the 30 other Division One sports. Another, you know, important fact that folks don't realize is that there are over 180,000 Division One college uh, students participating in, in D1 athletics every wow. year. Less than 8% of those athletes are football players. And then thirdly, um, we put forward a set of principles that should guide both governing entities. So we're, we're not looking for these entities to walk away from the values and the, and the core principles of college sports and in what we believe it should be. Um, and so those principles are there to, to help guide uh, both entities in this new structure. Mm-hmm. I want to expand more on what you were saying, and I was going through the, the press packet. Uh, 114 years, the NCAA's history, and the Knight Commission concluded – basically that the NCAA Division One is no longer keeping pace with the rapid commercial growth of college athletics, especially in football. Can you expand more on that? What What is the NCAA doing to not keep up? I guess that's the best way I'm trying to say it. Yeah, no, that's a, it's a, it's a great question. And, 
you know, we, one of the things we did in our presentation and folks who are interested in, in learning more about the history is we put together just a, uh, a slide that showed, you know, the key markers over the 114-year history of the NCAA. And, and you look at that marker and it, and it shows that there has been, you know, tremendous evolution in the governance. And, and we see this step as just another evolution in what has um what has transpired over the past 114 years. And, you know, of course, the NCAA was founded, frankly, because of football um, and, and the uh, demand that President Theodore Roosevelt put out uh, after a season of, uh, I think it's around 14 fatalities and uh, hundreds of, of serious injuries to football players. Um, the demand was made to university presidents either make the sport safer or abolish it. And so that was uh, the genesis of, of the National Association founded around that. But over that 114 years, uh, there's been a consistent pattern of football um, moving away from the NCAA in various ways at the highest level and seeking more autonomy. Um, and so w w the present-day kind of dysfunction is that you know, again, the the national championship, the marquee championship for uh, FBS football is managed independent of the NCAA. Uh, the, the NCAA does not receive any money at all from from football, and yet it's responsible for um, all of the national operations like things like enforcement, uh, health and safety, uh, litigation costs. Um, and then the bottom line is, you know, we don't think that the current structure works well for FBS football. It's a very fragmented governance. Um, you know, it is the most powerful sport in college athletics, and it has far-reaching impact on all of the other sports. And yet no single entity is in charge of governing the sport of FBS football. Um, and, and that was made clearly um you know, very obvious this year during the pandemic when there were uh, many disjointed and fragmented decision-making about, you know, when to play, how to play, when to start, what protocol should be in place. And, and frankly, that kind of disjointed <clears throat> decision-making continues even today. Yeah. Hi, Amy. This is Mike Lynch up in Boston. Um, we only have one FBS team up here, uh, Boston College, obviously. Um how did we get here? Mm -hmm. How did we get to this point? I mean, had, has football just been running through stop signs for years and years and years, and finally the commission has just come up and said enough? You know, it's, it's interesting because the football is very, you know, again, it's the one unique sport in the NCAA structure. The NCAA bylaws basically say to be an NCAA sport, the NCAA has to run your national championship. So it has to control the championship and the revenues. And, you know, for all other sports, uh, men's basketball is really the only net, positive net uh, revenue generator. I think baseball championship, the College World Series, is, is pretty positive as well. Um, but across the board, the NCAA gets all its money uh, for its operations and then sends around $600 million a year back to schools in a typical March Madness situation. So 
So football is the only sport that's considered an NCAA sport at the FBS level, but it's run, but its championship is run outside the NCAA. And in terms of the question how we got here, um, you know, again, there's there's been a consistent pattern through the years of, of different milestones, and one of the key milestones was in 1984. And prior to 84, the NCAA actually controlled uh, the television rights uh, for regular season football, and uh, the, the, the members, Georgia and, and University of Georgia and Oklahoma, actually sued the NCAA, and, and that led to the Supreme Court decision um, that basically – stripped the NCAA of its his control over uh, college football. And then that led to, um, you know, the conferences uh, negotiating their own TV deals and controlling um, college football. And so you saw, you know, in the 80s and 90s, you know, tremendous growth in, in media rights um, for those conference contracts. And then, quite frankly, the consolidation of all the bowl system into a you know a true national championship uh first with the bcs and now with the cfp has infused you know again other hundreds of millions of dollars into the system but again outside of the nca control um and so when you look at kind of the evolution of how all those things occurred and you know we, we've created lots of financial uh, charts and graphs that show, you know, what it means in terms of the bottom line. But, you know, there's been uh, billions of dollars that have come into the system um, that are really just under the control primarily of the five uh, major football conferences. And, and again, the, those revenues have flowed disproportionately to uh, coaches' salaries, uh, growth in personnel, and, um and paying debt service on a lot of facility enhancement and, and improvement. So, you know, there's been, um, you know, increasing revenues and being able to generate lots of revenues off of the popularity of college sports is a good thing. And, but, you know, the, the, where the money has gone has not been, uh, has not produced the best result in terms of, strengthening the college sports mission as a, as a whole and improving uh, all aspects of the college athlete experience. So, you know, that's, there are a lot of implications there. Um, right. But again, the bottom line as it relates to FBS football is there needs to be a greater uh, accountability for the sport within the system. Well, thanks so much for joining us. We're here each and every week for you at the same time talking to the biggest names in sports. I'm Jason Kelly along with Mike Lynch and Michael Bart. Let's get back to our conversation with Amy Privet-Perko. She is the CEO of the Knight Commission on Intercollegiate Athletics. You know, Amy, it does strike me that one of the elements of big money uh, potentially – or presumably that's coming down the pike here is around name, image, and likeness. I know that that is an area where you guys have done a lot of thought, a lot of study. Where does the Knight Commission come down on what the right way is to approach it, the right way for college athletes maybe to, to get some some actual value accruing to them uh, for themselves? Yeah, no, great question. And that, that, uh, the changes around name, image, likeness are coming. And, uh, we expect, you know, by next fall, there'll be a new system in place. And I think this will 
um, you know, really cause a sea change in terms of where some of the endorsement money is going. And um, it, it will change uh, college sports and be a new era for college sports. Um, the Knight Commission back in uh, April, it's been a busy year for us, but we put forward principles that we think, uh, you know, should should be principles that drive this new model. And uh, we put those out to, to try to influence the NCAA as well as state legislators who, you know, have been getting involved in this discussion, state and federal legislators who've been designing their own solutions for college sports in this particular space. Bottom line for our principles is that we believe that, you know, college athletes, like every other student, should be able to monetize the use of their name, image, likeness. Um, but it should be, you know, based on that individual's, only that individual's name, image, likeness. The school should not be involved. The school's mark should not be involved, uh, because once you start allowing the schools to be involved in setting up those deals and the school marks to be involved in uh, adding value to, uh, you know, a jersey or uh, whatever else may may be uh, a product that's created, uh, then we've moved kind of crossed the line into, you know, a pay-for-play type of arrangement um, uh, for athletes, uh, which... Um, is is not a model that that we support. So uh, there's tremendous opportunity uh, for uh, every college athlete at every level, not not just Division One, but uh, there are major changes, similar changes at Division Two and Three and NAIA all around. You know, providing this um, this this new opportunity for college athletes. COVID has just blown everything to smithereens never mind obviously the 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 grave impact on people who have died from this disease but it has impacted pretty much every aspect of our life uh including uh sports uh coach k uh, mike krzyzewski uh duke the winningest coach in the history of the sport uh questions now if uh we should uh, continue is it time to reconsider the season uh, your comments about what Coach K said, if you can expand on that. Sure. Um, and again, back in in June, before you know, uh, before schools had decided how they were going to reopen, before decisions were made about how to start fall sports, uh, we we our, our commission put forward a set of principles um, that that we felt should be followed as it as, as it related to. Uh, re-engaging college sports, and the bottom line was that we felt, obviously, the health and safety of the athletes should should come first, and that presidents should be making the decisions, not conference commissioners, and that the presidents should be guided by health professionals and, and medical professionals as well. Um, the the other aspect we talked about is that, you know, we're, we're experiencing a year like no other and and college sports leaders should be willing to um look at it differently and and not try to uh you know then and i'm speaking in my view using this example uh just because we've always had uh, you know march madness in march doesn't mean we should have march madness in march this year uh you can still have a tournament and it can uh the same type of opportunity when we're looking at it in terms of what is this all about it's opportunities for athletes that could happen in in april or may if if 
that's determined to be better for the health and safety of the athletes involved. So, you know, we have seen, um, again, this is where um, kind of the different governance structure of football uh, becomes so obvious. You know, all of the other fall championships for the NCAA, soccer, volleyball, uh, any fall sport was postponed and moved to the spring. Um for health and safety reasons. Football is the only sport that continued with its same calendar. Um, so I think, you know, basketball is going to have to face that decision as we, as we look at this situation, you know, worsening and, you know, lots of teams uh, currently pausing. And, and, you know, I think it's, uh, um, you know, a, a real opportunity for leadership of, you know, every, every conference commissioner uh, that's that's their job to to look at that with um, the institutions, but for the conference commissioners to provide leadership as well as the NCAA um, about what's what's the appropriate timing moving forward. Amy, uh, one of the big casualties, obviously, of COVID nineteen has been so many schools eliminating so many non revenue sports. Uh, with your recommendations from the Knight Commission. Can this help save some of the sports that are on the endangered species list? We think it can, and we think it should. And, you know, to your point, I think in Division One, there's been over 100 sports have been dropped. And when we put out our um, – when we communicated with the NCA back in the summer when there were, you know, a number of concerns, you know, financially, one of the things that, that you know, we – we said is that we felt dropping sports should be a last resort. We think there's a lot, you know, what, what has happened with, you know, the influx of money uh, that, that came in um, and, and no one, you know, obviously expected anything like a pandemic that would shut down, uh, you know, so much of, of, of the um, kind of the revenue sources. Um, But we, we've been, college sports have been operating even some of those other sports uh, in ways that are not cost efficient and in ways that are not required to provide, you know, really quality uh, leadership opportunities through sports for these athletes. So um, as an example, we have a number of um, conferences that were really put together because of a football TV footprint. Mm -hmm. That, that, that particular conference affiliation may be fine for football and playing one game a week. It doesn't make much sense for baseball teams uh, playing, you know, three games in a week or, or, you know, or volleyball teams. And so what we've done a number of work through the years, not only just around the pandemic, but to try to get leaders to, you know, rethink and, and, and just rethink and reimagine college sports in ways that, you know, might serve, their athletes just as well, but be more financially responsible. So uh, we're hoping that we've, we've seen, you know, some, uh, some of the conferences, particularly the pandemic has caused them to uh, do their scheduling differently for some of the other sports uh, that have continued. And so we think those kinds of opportunities should be looked at. We've also uh, made some major recommendations around changing the NCAA's revenue distribution system in ways that we think uh, could provide better incentives for uh, schools to sponsor, you know, uh, the other sports instead of cutting back 
all Division One teams have to have uh, sponsor 14 teams at a minimum. If you're an FBS school, you have to have 16 teams. Um, but what's, what's uh, again, the average fan doesn't realize is there's a vast difference, even among, you know, the Power Five conferences in terms of how many sports they're offering. I'll just give you a quick example. You know, I think Ohio State and, and Texas both have athletic department budgets over $200 million. Texas offers 19 sports. Um, Ohio State offers more than 30. Um, and, you know, that's, that's part of their history, and that's part of Ohio State's history and culture to, to have that broad base. But within the NCA revenue distribution, there's not much incentive to do that. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We're here each and every week for you at the same time talking to the biggest names in sports. I'm Jason Kelly, along with Mike Lynch and Michael Barr. Let's continue our conversation with Amy Privet-Perko, CEO of the Knight Commission on Intercollegiate Athletics. So, Amy, as you alluded to earlier in the conversation, there's been a lot going on here in 2020. You guys have been extraordinarily busy. One element that we have sort of touched on lightly, but I want to go a little deeper if we can, is what we saw over the summer with this national overdue reckoning on inequality and racial injustice. Clearly, we have seen athletes in a very positive way, in my humble opinion, feel more empowered about speaking out and talking about some of the things that they've seen. I think back to a conversation that we had on this show with Amani Toomer and, and his experience as a college athlete and his frustration around name, image, and likeness, but also with underlying endorsement deals that accrued to his coach, but not to him. But part of what's embedded in that, and he was very frank about this, and I think you have studied this pretty intensely, is this notion of you have a white coach who is basically accruing a huge amount of benefit uh, monetarily at coaching a big college football team, and players, many of whom are black and brown, not getting uh, any benefit there is some inequality going on here. How do you set about solving this problem? What are the recommendations that you make just from an equality perspective? There, there are a number of issues um, wrapped up into this, I think. But, you know, from the work that we're doing, we start with the principle again of, um, you know, we need to have a college sports system that, that is fair to the athletes. And there, there are a number of, proposals that we've made that hit on, you know, the, the major point here of, uh, is the system fair and, um, and addressing systemic racism that, that has existed. And, and you can see that in areas, you know, a, a glaring example is in the lack of diversity in the coaching ranks. And, um, you know, we believe that the college sports system has a responsibility to help address that and and there are things that can be done to help um increase that pipeline to to develop a deeper and more diverse talent pool let me give you one clear example um you know i think it's around 60 percent of all fbs football players are persons of color and and the stats you know show that there's um a significant underrepresentation of persons of color in the in the football coaching staff Back in 2017, um, when we were obviously in a very different financial situation, uh, we recommended to the college football playoff, again, that generates 
you know, more than $460 million a year just off of that event to earmark one penny off of every dollar earned and to put that into programs that would help develop a, uh, a deeper and more diverse talent pool. Again, this is three years ago, and it almost seems like a different lifetime before some of these uh, issues that have really, you know, uh, created such turmoil this year. And um, it basically, it, that recommendation was dismissed. Um, and, and, you know, I think when we break, we've reiterated it now, obviously we're in a much uh, tougher financial situation, but again, we think that's got to be a priority and, and, you know, we, we, you know, should be asking for more money than that, but, but at least one penny off every dollar earned. And there are a number of programs and, and that, that, uh, can be beneficial and that are working, but, you know, one of the programs in place. It, it has limited capacity, and it has limited capacity for uh, the, the the coaches they're trying to develop just because of uh, finances. And so, there are, there are things that can be done uh, as it relates to the players. Again, I think the NIL, the opening up of, of of those rules and liberalizing those rules, loosening the current restrictions, uh, will create a sea change. And and this is not a new issue uh, around NIL. You know, we raised the issues back in 2008 when technologies were emerging and, and there, the college football video game existed at that time. Right. And, uh, you know, those avatars were looking quite a bit like the actual players. So this issue has been around for a long time. And, and again, it's unfortunate that we only turned the corner on it really because of uh, state legislators who got into the mix and, and created their own state laws. And so we use that as an example to say if we don't, if we're not willing, uh, if college sports leaders aren't willing to take on these bigger issues, um, they are basically turning it over to Congress and the courts to design uh, solutions. And we think college sports leaders know the most about what college sports should be about and are in the best position uh, to design the solutions for the future. It's just going to take some courage to do that. You were a star basketball player at Wake Forest. And uh, you, I know this because uh, I used to see the games on ESPN and uh, I was looking at this. And today's game, uh, women's college basketball, uh, and for that matter, uh, the women's pro, the WNBA, uh is the why does that inequity still take place between women's basketball and men's basketball? Well, you know, I think again, it's uh, and I want to say from the start, you know, I, I had a great experience playing uh, college basketball, and uh, it provided me with you know, so many opportunities and, and leadership development opportunities, and I'm, I'm grateful for that experience. And and there has been, you know, tremendous progress in a number of ways. But, you know, again, I think as with um, a number of issues around equality, we we have to continue to, to press forward. And um, it, it's, again, with, with this as with everything else, we have to look at college sports uh, through a different lens of 
of pro sports and and the outcomes around um, you know the commercial uh, aspects are the reason for pro sports and and in too many cases you know college sports uh, we the, the the leaders still haven't in some cases turned the corner in terms of what's driving uh, decision making um, and, and you know college sports the ultimate outcome is not about uh, how many jerseys you can sell, how much revenue you can generate, but uh, what are you doing with with the money in, involved in college sports, and are you using these as opportunities to develop the human potential of these uh, young men and women in ways that are that are equitable and, and in ways that you know are tied to the mission of college sports. Amy, if the commission is successful in uh, getting the uh, FBS, and I wish it all go back to Division One, Dun Double A, Two and Three, because it's much easier to follow. To be honest with you, but if you can get the FBS to sort of segregate from from the rest, like your recommendation says, who is in charge of them? Will there be a commissioner? Will there be a panel? Um, because right now, I mean, we saw when you know the Pac-10 wasn't going to play, the Big Ten wasn't going to play, but oh, the ACC was going to play. And then that force kind of forced the other leagues mm-hmm. to jump in. Who who will be in charge? Who will be? Will it be one voice or will it be a commission? Well, again, our 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 vision is for this new entity that would be the National College Football Association. That it would be in charge of all of college football. So it is in charge of. You know, regular season, health and safety, uh, what kind of, you know, long-term health benefits college football players should have, as well as the college football playoff. And, and now those, everything I just said is, is a decision-making in a different area. Um, and so being able to have that under one governance entity, you know, you would have a president or a, or a commissioner, if you will, of the National College Football Association, and that would provide unified leadership over that sport. And for one, one other aspect that's included in our principles that I wanted to mention is that we believe strongly that more college athletes should be involved in the governance. Uh, we have a couple of former FBS football players on our commission one, Jacques McClendon, he's the director of player development at the L.A. Rams, and he played football at Tennessee. And, and Jacques was just terrific talking about how this new model will provide, you know, more opportunities for college athletes, former um, former and current football players, to be involved and have a voice in that governance system because they are often uh, very underrepresented in the current NCAA structure. And so... Amy, just as we wrap up, I mean, I, I do want to ask you, you know, given everything, we keep sort of coming back to this this year that we're thankfully, I think, wrapping up uh, at this point mm-hmm. and, and who knows what 21 is going to bring. But but I do wonder, do you feel that there is an opportunity for a bit of a reset, especially when it comes to college athletics because of the teams that have been sidelined, because we have seen a, a very uneven, to say the least, college football season here. We've seen some of the carnage uh, in terms of uh, teams you know, being taken away or shut down and, and eliminated, as, as Lynchy was talking about earlier. What does what does the best sort of reset look like? What do you think it and what do you think is a reasonable expectation for college sports going forward where we actually learn something coming out of this period? Yeah, no, that's 
we, we do think it, this this year does provide a reset moment, and, and as I've mentioned, an opportunity for leaders to really reimagine and restructure college sports for the future. Um, and and it goes in our minds; it goes beyond. You'll, you'll hear some athletic directors talking about, "Hey, we discovered that you know we don't need to spend three hundred thousand dollars a year recruiting in our recruiting budget, flying coaches all over the country." Um, and, and obviously, we're all doing work differently with, you know, the video calls and things like that. And and coaches and recruit, they've adapted that in their recruiting. So, you know, I think ads are finding ways in which they can save money. The big question is, well, is what's going to happen in the future with those financial savings? Is it going to be what has happened in the past, which has been, frankly. Over the past 10 years, we saw football coaching salaries increase 93%, um, and, and which you know brings collectively, if you average the 10 allowable football coaches, that averages under a million dollars a coach in the Power Five, and that's just um, you know inappropriate for a, a nonprofit educational model and. Um, so we, we can, you know, find ways to reset and have financial savings, but ultimately it's about w- what are the outcomes. Does it mean, you know, a better experience for college athletes, a fairer, more equitable experience for college athletes, more cal- college athletes having a voice in governance, um, more, more of the revenues being generated going to improve things like diversity and athletics leadership. So, again, I think any crisis, Leaders look at crisis as an opportunity to to really focus on what's our core mission, and so that's that's the message we're preaching is that this does provide that opportunity to kind of reset college sports. Let's get back to what our core mission is, and then restructure so that we can we can ensure that the revenues are being used in ways that strengthen that mission of college sports. Amy, really, really good to catch up with you. I'd been looking forward to this uh, for a while after you and I had first connected on the Business Week show that you're the perfect person to sort of help us uh, set the right tone, I think, as we get to the end of this very difficult year and, and look ahead. And, you know, it's been famously said, you know, never waste a good crisis. And, and I hope that college athletics uh, takes advantage of that because there are certainly some structural things that you and the team have identified that need to be fixed. Amy Privet-Perko is the CEO of the Knight Commission on Intercollegiate Athletics. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Mike. Michael. Thank you so much. Thanks, Amy. It was a pleasure. All right, guys. So, you know, I love college sports and I'm a college football fan, but it is not hard to see how distorted this has become. And what I really like and what I really took away from that interview is you just have to look at the numbers, Lynchy, to see really how outrageously out of whack this has gotten. You know, this is crazy. Uh, at the full disclosure, my sister was a tennis scholarship player at Clemson, so I'm not mm. picking on Clemson. But in their football facility, they have a barbershop, they have a basketball court, they have a bowling alley, they have a miniature golf course, they have a wiffle ball field, they have a slide from the first floor to the second floor, a basketball court, uh, and they just eliminated their track and field program. Yeah, And that just doesn't seem right to me. 
You know, I mean, just this, just the haves, the, the, the big line and the big chasm between the haves and the have-nots has really got to end in college athletics. There's no need to have all these extravagant things inside the Clemson football uh, facility. And then all these great track and field men and women are now have no place to compete anymore. It's not right. Bar, what'd you make of it? I mean, I, I just, I, I'm, I admire what they are trying to do. My worry is that because of the sheer volume of money, it's going to fall on deaf ears. Well, I didn't think of it until, as I mentioned earlier in the interview, uh, what they had sent out in their press packet. And what they said was is that the NCAA, 114 years of history, and it's no longer keeping pace with the, the growth, commercial growth, of college athletics, especially college football. And I didn't think of it that way because I always thought the NCAA is like, well, that's, you know, the holy grail. It's like you don't, you know, they'll, they'll lead us the right way. And as I think about it, it it's, they might, the Knight Commission might have something. Uh, so I would like to see where that goes. Uh, but like you said, there's a lot of money in this, so I, I don't know. Well, I mean, to me, if I were telling people to take one thing away, I bet there are a ton of people out there who did not realize that the NCAA essentially has nothing to do with the college yeah. football playoff. Yeah. I, I mean, that alone, I, I feel like you yep. should sort of sit up straight and realize that that $460 million that's generated by the college football playoff system has nothing to do with the NCAA. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> whoa, that's that's bananas, and I think that is not well known. And so that alone means something's got to give. Uh, I'm sure there are implications of a – radical restructuring that maybe we're not thinking about, but it certainly is something that needs to be looked at, in my humble opinion. And the NCAA is a gigantic moneymaker, and you know this is just irritating the heck out of them. Oh, to, just be, yeah. to, to, to be putting up the expenses yes. for this college football playoff and getting zero in return. Right, and to, and to have to bear, you know, the school's – you know, and the NCAA, as you say, to have to bear all the costs of enforcement and all the rules and all the different things, and then you know all the money is going elsewhere. But you know, you realize how the the incentives, as they say, are not quite aligned. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Well, speaking of not aligned, <laughs> Lynchy and I are never aligned when it comes to trying to guess the number of the week. And Here we go. I'm, I'm out of alignment most of the time. I'm, go I, on, I got to tell you, this is one of the best numbers of the week that I came up with. Yeah, I'm just going to come out and say wow. it. There's a personal okay. reason for this. <laughs> All of this talk about the Wayne Gretzky rookie card and the 1979 rookie card could fetch six figures, maybe seven figures. So, and I just found this in my attic. I collected baseball cards. And in my box, I have the entire 1974 Topps baseball card set all 660 cards and it's in excellent condition maybe even near mint so here's my question according to amazon 
How much is that 1974 Topps baseball card set in excellent condition? This is okay. like a real pri- when, when no, you sa- when Price you is said, Right card. I'd like to edit back what you said and say instead of the best number of the week, this is the most absurd number of the week I think that we have ever had to guess. <laughs> Lucky me. Oh, my goodness. Um... All right. Well, you're still working, so that makes me think that this isn't like, you know, go retire on an island money. Uh, a thousand bucks? I'm going to go like uh, 7500 You guys have overbid. Uh, it, According to Amazon, rounded to the nearest dollar, it's $600. Oh, uh, and it's not bad. I I, ex- I expected more, but it's not bad. So yeah, I wish I had that '79 uh, Gretzky card. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah that would be a <laughs> that's that uh, on a per card basis. That's not a lot of money. There. <laughs> <laughs> just just saying. Did, hey, just saying. Did, did old Bar? I was like you. Was a kid. I had a shoebox, and I was every night. That's I was going through every one of my cards. And I didn't wasn't doing my homework for a couple of weeks. And my dad, who was a smart guy, was oh, on to me. No. And yeah, but you know what's coming, right? Oh. And so, you know, a couple of Mike, you do your homework. Oh yeah, I did it, Dad. Mike, you do your homework. And then, you know, finally it was like, Did you do your homework? And he grabbed my notebook with all my assignments and blank pages. Oh. Took the shoebox into the trash. Oh, oh. man. <laughs> Yeah. Now I never oh. li- I never lied to him again. So the oh. lesson the lesson the lesson, <laughs> lesson was learned. But oh. we, and, and for years we joked about it. I said, Dad, what do you think you threw away there? But is it maybe Kyle Yastrzemski's rookie oh. card? You maybe, oh. you know. Oh. Oh, <laughs> <Who man. knows? laughs> yeah, but then he also probably looked at you and said, "Yeah, you're welcome for going to Harvard. You could have been, you know, <laughs> could have been looking at baseball cards your entire life, and you know." Uh, I know we got to wrap, but it makes me think of the uh, Leave It to Beaver episode, and Ward has this beautiful baseball, and it's signed by Babe Ruth and all these other greats. And then Beaver oh, yeah. goes out and plays with the ball, and and it gets wrecked, ran over by a car. So he tries to recreate it, and <laughs> so so then he puts it back. And then Ward, uh, you know, is trying to show the the baseball card, uh, baseball to his friends. And you see one of the names now. It's Baby Ruth. <laughs> uh, the sound you're hearing right now oh. is uh, people Googling Beaver, leave it to Beaver, <laughs> baseball card, 1974. That's everything oh, that's happening man. right now. You've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're here each and every week at the same time, plus online, wherever you get your podcast. Catch those Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, including the long-form version of our conversation today with Emmy <clears throat> including the long-form version of our great conversation today with Amy Privet Perko from the Knight Commission. I'm Jason Kelly. You can find me on Twitter at Jason Kelly News. And I'm Mike Lynch. I learned my lesson, Dad. But, <laughs> boy, I wish we had those cards back. <laughs> and you can follow me at LynchyWCBB. See, I hid mine under the bed. They didn't know where they were. <laughs> I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world. 